Galatians 1, 11 through 13. Let's read this. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of the Almighty. My Bible says the church of God. Beyond measure and tried to destroy it. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. In the last lesson, we covered verses 6 through 10, verses which emphasize the error of distorting the gospel. The gospel is about Yahweh's calling by the grace of the Messiah, verse 6. The gospel is not about anything that we do. The gospel is not about any commandments that we keep. The gospel isn't even about our responses to the gospel. What I mean by that is, Faith, repentance, and baptism are all responses to the gospel. Those are things that we must do. Remember on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the men were pricked in their hearts, they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do? So we do have responses to the gospel. But our responses are not the gospel. The gospel means literally the good news. And the good news is not about me or you. The good news, the good message is that Yahweh, the Father, has provided a way for mankind to be reconciled to Him, to be at peace with Him through the life, death, and resurrection of His anointed one, Yeshua. Anything that we add to the gospel distorts the gospel. Case in point, in Galatians, in this time period, which was about 48, 49 A.D. when Paul wrote this epistle. There were some of the Yehudim, the Judahite brothers in the Messiah, who were telling the Gentiles, the uncircumcised Yahfirs who lived outside of the land of Israel, they were telling these Gentiles that the gospel included first becoming a proselyte to Judaism before they could receive salvation. In other words, it was not to them believe in the work of Yeshua and receive forgiveness and peace with the Almighty. It was believe in Yeshua and convert to becoming uh, Yehudim through our particular ritual, through how we say you have to convert, and then and only then will you receive peace and forgiveness from the Almighty. And Paul pronounced a curse on that teaching. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Now, Paul had already been through the region of Galatia preaching the good news about Yeshua to both the Judahites and the Gentiles. According to Acts chapters 13 and 14, and remember, the reason Acts 13 and 14 are so important in our lesson or our series is because Acts 13 and 14 all take place in Galatia, in the region known as Galatia. Okay, So Paul's letter later goes to those people in that region. Well, in Acts 13 and 14, there were some among both Judahites and Gentiles who believed the message of the gospel of of Christ. But then after Paul left, some of the Judahite brothers, when I say brothers, I mean brothers in the Messiah. They professed to believe in the Messiah. But some of them, they snuck behind Paul 
and they started stirring up discord amongst the brothers. They began to contradict Paul's message, and they promoted their message of becoming a ritual proselyte in order to truly be saved. Yeah, believing in the Messiah, that's good, but that's not enough. That's not the total gospel. Paul says, you're wrong. You're distorting the gospel. Well then, in verses 11 through 12, our first two verses in our text today, Paul echoes a statement that he made earlier in verse 1. And he says in verse 11 through 12, let's look at those again. It says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, in verses 11 through 12, Paul echoes verse 1 of Galatians, chapter 1, but he builds on it. When Paul says that the gospel he preaches is not according to man, he is not contrasting the true from the false. He already dealt with that in verses 6 through 10. Paul is now contrasting how he received the message of the gospel with how most other people receive the message of the gospel. Verse 11 says, it's not according to man, and he clarifies this in verse 12 when he says, I didn't receive it from man, neither was I taught it. What Paul is saying is this, no one initially witnessed to him in order for him to receive or be receptive of the good message. He didn't run into Peter or James. He didn't run into these brothers. These brothers didn't come to his synagogue and preach the message of Yeshua. That's not how Paul received the gospel. He didn't get it by man. The common way that a person believes the gospel is because they hear it taught by a man. And there is nothing wrong with that. I fear that in assemblies or synagogues that kind of believe like we do, more of a messianic Hebraic flair to it, I fear that sometimes people throw off on teachers of the word. I've heard it so many times. They say, well, I don't need a man to teach me. But yet the scriptures say, Paul says in Ephesians 4, that he gave, speaking of Yeshua, I believe that verse is about the Messiah, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastoring teachers. It's actually a fourfold ministry. Pastor and teachers go together there in the Greek. So Yeshua gave these, why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And so most people receive the gospel, the good news, because they hear it taught by a true minister. Okay? Now, the Bible teaches that there are good teachers. Okay, In saying that, I'm not neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit. I know it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us what we learn and desire. But the way the Holy Spirit teaches us is sometimes through the reading of the Word, sometimes through a person that he has sent. I have learned things from David. David has taught me at, at five years old, three years ago. David has taught me things from listening to him. Now, does that mean the Holy Spirit was not teaching me? No, the Holy Spirit was teaching me, but he was using a, the vessel of even my little son, my child, to teach me. So we have to have a balance there. And the fourfold ministry is designed, first and foremost, to spread the good message about the Messiah. So if you're a believer in the good news today, if you really believe in the gospel today, 
it is very likely that you first believed it because you heard a message preached. You heard a a teacher or a preacher. You were taught the message and then you believed unto eternal life. But that's not how it happened with Saul. It didn't happen that way with Saul. Saul, who was also called Paul, we know his Hebrew name was Shaul. Shaul the Pharisee was not taught the gospel. He did not receive it initially from man. He received it through a direct revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, Galatians 1, 11 through 12. And we first learn about Saul's conversion in, in Acts 9. He was not looking for Yeshua. He had heard about Yeshua. He'd heard about Yeshua's followers. But you know what? He hated all of them. He wanted to bind them in chains and put them in prison. Some he wanted to stone to death. And he did all of this. And this is the kicker. He did all of this thinking he was doing the Almighty, the Mighty One of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a service. He thought he was doing what Yahweh wanted him to do. But on his way to do some persecuting of believers and the Messiah, there were other divine plans. How many know the plans of man are many, but Yahweh's plans always take precedence. You can't stop Yahweh. Ultimately, if he wants something to take place, it's going to take place. As I was pondering upon that today, I thought that Saul of Tarsus is is a prime example that you can be dead set against believing the gospel. Dead set against it. And your mind can be changed by a supernatural occurrence from heaven. You can be dead set on going the ways of man or the ways of the world or the ways of carnal nature. You can be dead set on going that way and Yahweh Almighty can intervene because He has other plans. I'm thankful for those divine plans. Praise Yahweh. I'm, I'm sure Saul was afterwards too. Well, that's what happened that day while Saul the, the Pharisee was on the road to Damascus. His plans got interrupted and Yeshua called from heaven down to Saul on earth and he said, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? The master knocked him down, blinded him for three days, gave him his apostleship and then led him to a follower of Yeshua named Hananiah. We know him as Ananias, but that wasn't what they called him. They called him Hananiah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the man that Saul of Tarsus was initially sent to after he met the Messiah by divine revelation, Hananiah, his name, you know what his name means? Yah has favored. Yah has shown grace. So in other words, Paul did not initially receive the gospel from a man. He wasn't taught it by Peter or by James. He got it directly from the Messiah. And he builds on this in verse 13. This is our next and last verse for the lesson today. Notice verse 13. For, that's the link to the previous thought, for you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of the Almighty or the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now, Saul speaks of his former manner of life here. He uses his former manner of life as evidence that he did not receive the gospel the way that most people receive it. Saul of Tarsus was in the business of persecuting everybody that would preach or teach the gospel of the Messiah. He didn't want to hear them. He wanted to close their mouths. And that's proof. He's using that as proof that he did not get the gospel 
the way normally people get the gospel, by being taught or receiving it from a person. Now, Shaul's former manner of life was in Judaism. Now, we've got to be careful here. Brother Matthew has to be careful here because a lot of people want to read a whole bunch of stuff into the word Judaism that does not exist. And I will have to tell you, I had to correct myself after studying for this sermon. I had to correct myself on this word of Judaism. And I love when I'm corrected by the word. I like to be corrected. I'm thankful for the times that Yahweh corrects me. This is what I mean. The word Judaism does not mean false Jews. That's not what the word means. The word Judaism does not refer to imposter non-Israelites. doesn't refer to that. And the best place to begin proving that is with Saul himself. Saul speaks of his former manner of life in Judaism. Now, was Saul an Israelite? Absolutely. Saul was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, from the house of Judah. So he was a Judahite, a Judean. And Judaism is actually a word that describes a particular religious umbrella, so to speak. And it is not in and of itself a bad word. People today read the word Judaism and they automatically contrast it with today's Christianity as though 21st century Christianity existed back in the time of Saul of Tarsus. Well, newsflash, it didn't exist. Paul didn't leave Judaism to go join the Lutheran church down the street. There were no Lutheran churches down the street. Okay, There were no churches, period, like we know of them today back in the time of, of Saul. So that's not what's going on here. Paul is not contrasting Judaism with today's Christianity. Judaism, let me write this on the screen here. I want you to notice this. I'm going to write it exactly as it's spelled with a little hyphen in the middle. Judaism... Here is the Greek word Yudaismos. Do you hear that? Yudaismos. Yudah, Judah, Judaismos. The word is tied to the house or the tribe of Judah, or more properly, Yehuda. So members of this tribe, house, or land region were known as Yehudim, Hebrew, or Judahites, or even Judeans. So Paul is not speaking against Judah Ismos. What he's speaking against is his former manner of life inside of Judah Ismos or Judaism. Look at verse 13 again. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. Shaul's former manner of life was Phariseeism. He calls himself a Pharisee in Philippians 3 verse 5. The word Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word perushim, which means a separatist. And the Pharisees called themselves separatists because they believed that they were the strictest sect inside of Judaism or Judaism. <laughs> and everyone else was second class in their views. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees trusted in their own righteousness yeah. And they look down on everybody else. Yeshua told a parable about that in Luke 18. Now Saul's particular brand of Phariseeism, because if you study Pharisees, there's not just one type of Pharisees, there's many different types. Saul's brand believed in persecuting the followers of Yeshua. So Paul tells the Galatians here in, in 1 and 13 that they had heard of his former manner of life inside of Judaism 
And that manner of life was how he persecuted the church of God. I'm quoting the New American Standard Bible, the church of God. He persecuted that church beyond measure, trying to destroy it. Again, again. Let's don't read anything into a phrase. Let's think about it. Let's gear our minds accordingly, contextually, historically. Persecuting the church of God does not mean that Saul persecuted churches like the one down the street on Highway 38, the Conyers Church of God. That's not what Galatians 1.13 is talking about. Those churches did not exist in the first century. Church of God in the Greek New Testament is ekklesia theos. And that is a phrase that's used in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, to refer to the congregation of Elohim. The congregation of Elohim in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, this is not in my notes. Hold your finger in Galatians and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Where there was a man named Stephen, brother Stephen, he was a believer in the Messiah, a Judahite believer in the Messiah. And he's kind of preaching a sermon in Acts chapter 7 to the leaders in Israel that did not believe in the Messiah, and he rakes rakes them there towards the end. And they actually stone him at the end, but yet he prays for them. So he prays for his persecutors. But in Acts 7, 37 through 38, he says this, This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, Yahweh shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. So he's talking about Moses. Moses is making this prophecy. Verse 38. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. So Stephen is telling us a little bit about prophet Moses. And he says that Moses was in the congregation in the wilderness. Now, New American Standard Bible uses the English word congregation here. It's the Greek word. Anybody know? Ecclesia. It's the exact same word as Galatians 1.13. Church of God. Here, they chose to translate it congregation. Why do you think they chose congregation instead of church? Well, because everybody knows there was no churches like we think of them existing back at the time of prophet Moses. Now, if you read the King James Version, it will actually say church in the wilderness in Acts 7 verse 38. This should give us a little bit better idea of what the word, the English word church, is conveying to us as we read Galatians 1.13. Church is not meant to think of church of God down the street, Lutheran church, or any of the denominational churches today. It simply means the assembly of Elohim, the assembly of Yahweh, the called out ones to worship and to, to serve the Almighty. So that's what Stephen's talking about there in Acts 7. And, and I believe that's what Paul is talking about in Galatians 1.13 when he says he persecuted the church of God, the ecclesia theos. He's talking about the congregation of Elohim. And catch this. The true congregation of Elohim, the true believers in the Messiah, were considered a sect inside of Judaism, just like the Pharisees. The original followers of Yeshua were all Judahites. They were all Yehudim. Or proselytes to the faith of the Yehudim. So in studying for this week's message, I've had to learn not to throw off on the term Judaism. Because we think, when we, when we read Judaism, we automatically try to associate 21st century Judaism with 1st century Judaism. It's not the same. Just like you cannot associate 21st century Christianity with first century messianic faith. It's not the same. So, 
In the past, I'd thrown off on that term. I repented of that now in my studies. And I had done so because I had not slowed down long enough to understand the meaning and the context of the term in the first century. So under the umbrella of Judah, Yehudaism, you had groups like Pharisees, you had Sadducees, Zadokians, you had Essenes who lived out in the wilderness. They didn't have anything to do with the temple. Some people believe John the Baptizer was an Essene. You had another group, a fourth group, called the Zealots. And then you had another group that's mentioned in the book of Acts that's called the sect of the Nazarenes. Acts 24, verse 5. And Paul is considered to be a leader, a ringleader, in the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, the Nazarene sect was considered under the umbrella of Judaism, but they were believers in the Messiah. They were still observers of the Torah, but they were believers in Yeshua as the Messiah. Why were they called Nazarenes? Probably because Yeshua grew up in Nazareth. So therefore his followers were originally called Nazarenes. This is before Christians. This is before Christianity. Nazarenes, this is followers of the way. They were also called early on. This is before any of that. So it was not like Saul of Tarsus left Judaism and converted to Christianity. That's not what happened. Okay? Shaul left one of the sects inside of Judaism and he recognized that it was not the correct or the genuine form of Judaism. It was not the right brand. However, that does not mean that he changed everything he believed. I think a lot of times Christians think that when Saul had his Damascus Road experience, everything changed for him. No, no, everything didn't change. There was one big thing that changed the man from Nazareth that was now in heaven that he didn't believe in, he was persecuting the followers of of Yeshua, he realized, hey, that really is the Messiah. So that was huge. But that didn't mean Saul had to change his belief in the Tanakh, the Old Testament. He still believed the Old Testament was Holy Scripture. He still worshipped the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He just had to gear his focus in the right direction. He had gotten off track. So he had to gear his focus back in the right direction. He realized that His former manner of life was a distorted form or brand of Judaism. Had he been studying properly, had been studying the Tanakh properly, he would have seen that Yeshua was the promised Messiah in the Hebrew Scriptures. And he should not have been persecuting the believers in the Messiah. Now, Paul uses this as proof that his message did not come from man. What proof? Well, that he was persecuting the true congregation of Elohim beyond measure and trying to destroy it. Galatians 1.13 You've heard, Galatians, you've heard of my former manner of life under the umbrella of Judaism, how that I persecuted the, the true believers, the congregation of Elohim, the one Stephen talked about that was branched off of the church in the wilderness. I persecuted them beyond measure and I tried to get rid of them and stamp them out. Now, I want you to make a note of these three texts. I'm going to read three texts. I'm going to write them on the screen. If you make notes in your Bible... You should write these beside Galatians 1.13, their references. The first is Acts 22, verses 19 through 20. I'll read these. And how many know that if a preacher ever tells you that he'll read a verse, that means you better read the verse, right? You better at least read it when you go home, right? <laughs> Don't ever take a preacher's word for anything. So Acts 22:19 through 20, in summation, says this. Paul says this. In one synagogue after another, 
I used to imprison and beat those who believed in Yeshua. And when the blood of Stephen was being shed, Stephen, that's the guy we talked about in Acts 7, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying him. This is Saul of Tarsus. The next one is Acts 26, verses 10 through 11. And you should read before and after these as well in your study time. Paul says this in Acts 26, 10 through 11. I locked up many of the saints in prisons. And when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being enraged at them, I kept pursuing them. And then the last one is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And yet, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, what these verses also show us is the, the volume of Yahweh's grace and mercy upon a person. If Yahweh can save a man who literally killed the Messianic believers, then we should never think that anyone that we meet is out of Yahweh's reach. And we think there's no way that person could ever be saved. There's no way they're ever going to change. They thought that about Saul of Tarsus. When Saul first converted over to believing in the Messiah, Yeshua, people were scared of him. The saints were scared of him. And they said, we're not sure about this guy. Barnabas, Joseph Barnabas, he had to take Saul under his wing and bring him and explain, no, this guy is the real deal. He's really had a conversion. But they didn't want to be around him. Why? They thought he, it was a trick. They thought it was something he was sneaking around, trying to infiltrate into the, the congregation of Elohim and then start persecuting the believers. But no, Saul really had a change of heart. And brothers and sisters, there is nothing that can stop a change of heart that comes from Yahweh. Amen. I know a lot of people say that they repent or say they confess or believe or what have you and then you see no change in their life or no change in their lifestyle or, or anything like that. And that's because it's all based on the power of man. But when Yahweh delivers, He really delivers. He pulls a person out of their old nature and He creates a new creation. And then it doesn't happen overnight. Give people time. But over the years, you will see people gradually growing closer and closer to looking like Yeshua. Why? Because Yahweh has graced them with salvation. The gospel has truly been shown to them and by faith they have received that gospel. You know, that's how we must receive it by faith. We must believe in it in order to be saved. So these verses are very powerful. You can make footnotes in your Bible at Galatians 1.13. Shaul the Pharisee did not get the gospel that he now preached from a man. No one taught it to him. He knew about it, but he hated it. He wanted to snuff it out completely. And this is why Yeshua had to beat him over the head. 
when he was on the road to Damascus. Could you imagine? He was on the road to Damascus to persecute and the plans got changed. <laughs> I mean, it's totally polar opposite. Yeshua knocked him down, blinded him, got his attention, commissioned him. He got the gospel initially directly from the Master. In conclusion, as I close today, I want to say that the more that I study Galatians and the life and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, that I'm amazed that some people reject his apostleship. I'm amazed by that. This is the number one reason why. I think you should remember this and use this. If anybody tries to tell you that Paul was a false apostle or not a real convert, this is my number one reason. It makes no human sense for a man to give up a life of educated esteem among his peers, prestige in his community, and probably a future seat on the Sanhedrin. I think that's what Paul's talking about in verse 14 where he was getting close to being at the top of his class. We'll talk about that next week. He gave up all of that, a smooth life, to live a life of poverty and persecution. Let me tell you something. The, the so-called prosperity gospel that you hear on the TV, TVs today, Paul got the exact opposite of that when he received the true gospel. He didn't get prosperity. He got poverty and he got persecution. He would always dust himself off and he would tell the saints, with many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. With many trials we must go through many heartaches to enter the kingdom. But Paul left all of that to become an outcast. Brothers and sisters, you do not persuade people into a life of mockings, beatings, imprisonments, stonings, and death. If I was out on the street corner preaching the gospel and somebody said, well, if I receive this, what do I have to look forward to? If I said, now in America, we don't have to say this, but if I said, you've got this to look forward to, you'll be mocked, you'll be spat on, you'll be beat, you might get thrown into prison, you may get stoned, and you may get put to death. And say, well, there's no way I'm going to convert to that faith. I don't want anything to do with that. But yet, this is what Paul did. Think about it. This is what Saul did. He left a life of smooth living, esteem. He was at the top of his class. He was excelling over his countrymen, zealous for the law. Zealous for not just the law of Yahweh, but the, the unwritten traditions of many of the Jews that lived back then at that time. Very zealous. No problems. He gave all of that up to be beat, mocked, stoned, and worried about his life all the time to be persecuted. Shaul left his former manner of life to become a man of ridicule. That lets me know that his conversion was genuine. It really happened. There was a spiritual heart surgery that took place inside of him. Because that's the only way. That is the only way he would trade his status for being hated and treated like trash by many of his fellow countrymen for the rest of his life. And I can't help but wonder how many Christians today would jump ship if we did not live in America. If we did not live in, an, in a country where we are free, even as strange as this congregation is here, this local congregation is very strange to people outside of here, okay? As strange as we are, we're free to practice what we believe. Be thankful that we're free to do that without persecution. Shaul was not free to practice his faith in the Messiah without persecution. He was on the run for his life all the time if you read the book of Acts. Acts 13 and 14 is a prime example. 
So I can't help but wonder how many Christians would jump ship if we didn't live in America. How many would give up their faith if they were faced with beatings and being put in prison for believing in the Messiah? Confessing Yeshua as master means so much more when a civil or religious authority has you in chains with a sword to your gut or your throat. People say, confess Jesus as Lord. Confess Yeshua as Lord. And they think, well, you just say a few words and then that's, you know, you're in and you can't get out. But what those verses in the Bible are talking about is when you would confess Yeshua as Master back then, it was to the point of death, to the point of persecution. So that weeded out the tares a lot. Because if somebody's not a real believer, they're not going to confess because confession means I'm going to maybe lose my life or at least be beat and mocked and put in prison. May Yahweh help us all to realize those things. That bothers me when I meditate on these things of how good of a life that I live and freedom that I have when I think about my early Messianic brothers in the faith that did not have that liberty. And I feel like I'm not worthy. I didn't live under what they lived under. So may Yahweh help all of us. And may He help all of us to respect Shaul, the apostle of Yeshua, more than we ever have. Next week, I'm just going to teach on one verse, verse 14, and we're going to talk about what Paul was advancing in, and we're going to talk about something called the traditions of the elders or the oral Torah. Heavenly Father, thank You. I love You. I appreciate You. Father, humble us. Keep us humble, Yahweh. Father, let us be thankful for our liberties and our freedoms that we have. I feel far too often that we we treat it as though it's, it's not even meaningful. But there's a lot of men and women that have gone before us that have died so that we could be at the place that we're at today. Men like Saul of Tarsus. I pray that we would not only honor you, Yahweh, and your son, Yeshua, but we would honor those men and those women that have given their life for the good news of of the Messiah. Give honor where it's due. Yahweh, Father, I pray that we would remember the words of Scripture today and you would continue to teach us and grow us. pray these things through your Son.